three weeks, I've been on a sermon series that was entitled Guard Your Heart. And we were wearing this, I wore this the first Sunday, uh, this bulletproof vest indicating that there is an armor that God expects us to wear to be able to guard ourselves from attacks that come to us from the outside. The first week of this series, we talked about not all attacks that are against our spirit and against our heart come from the outside. Sometimes we attack ourselves. Sometimes the attacks that come to us are from the inside out. And we spoke concerning the misconceptions that oftentimes we have about ourselves. Spiritually, there are some of you that even though you attend church and you hear the word of God, deep down inside there's this fear that you are unlovable. That somehow out of all of the world that God gave his life to, to die for everybody, that you alone are exempt from that because of, you know, if you only knew, Pastor, what I did, if you, if you knew what I've said, what I've done, and, and deep down inside you have this misconception about yourself that you are unlovable and it is an attack from the inside out. And we begin to address that. We address those of you that are living with this spirit of just overwhelming fear that you are unforgivable. That whatever it is that you have done seems to be the one thing that is outside the grace of God. And it's a misconception that you have and it's an attack from the inside out in your own heart. Some of you have lived a life that you believe that you are unchangeable. Even though you know that the Bible says that when you become a child of God... That you are a brand new creature. He makes everything new and that the old has died, passed away, and he makes all things new. And yet you have lived in the same behavior patterns that you did previous to, to coming to know God. And as a result of that, you have not yet experienced the joy of a changed life. And so somehow you believe that you are unchangeable. Some of you live in the idea that God will show his favor on everybody else and that he will bless the lives of others, but that you are unblessable. And some of you have been battling the misconception that out of everybody in the world, you are the one person that God cannot use to bring joy to his kingdom. And even though we wear a bulletproof vest and we put on the armor of God, some of the attacks that we face are those that we attack ourselves with on the inside, and we address that. And I would encourage you, if you didn't have a chance to hear that message, that you would go to the website and go back a couple of weeks, and it's there, and you can listen to that. Our theme verse throughout this series has been Proverbs 4.23 that says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart for out of it is the wellspring of life. Everything that we think and do comes from our heart, which is why God wants us to protect it so much. And today I want to continue on with the theme of victory over temptation. Last week we kind of started into the idea of temptation and the role that it plays both for the enemy and the role that God can use it for. Last week we talked first of all about knowing where your temptation comes from. We know that Satan is the tempter. Temp Temptation originates with him, and whenever he brings temptation to our life, it's always with the desire that we would fail so that he can rob us of victory. His desire and temptation and bringing to our life is that he would kill our spirit, that he would destroy our spiritual hunger to go on with God. And, and I address that this morning, that some of you have been living in the shadow of failure for so long that you do not believe that victory is even possible for you. Today, the Lord is going to address that, and you're going to walk in new life today. We also recognize that God has a role 
in the areas that we are tempted in our life. Because whenever temptation uh, befalls us, God allows it so that he can accomplish purposes within our life. Nothing happens to us when we belong to to God that he doesn't allow. He knows what he's after. And so when we face it, And he allows it. It's under his watchful eye because he wants to do something in us that will bring us closer to him. He's prepared a way of escape for us in every temptation that comes our way. We learned last week, secondly, that if God is allowing temptation in your life, it's because he's after something. You see, temptation wouldn't bother us if it's not that there's a weakness within our life that God wants to address. The very things that tempt us indicate that the Lord wants to elevate those weaknesses so that he can be invited into them with us. And temptation reveals them. And we already know that some of the things that may tempt you, I don't have a problem with. There are other things that I deal with on a daily basis that may not bother you at all. But Satan is aware of my weaknesses, and so he's constantly bringing them to a place where I have to deal with those things so he can destroy me. But God wants to reveal them to us so that when they are revealed, I can invite him into those so that victory can take place. Some of your weaknesses have been reoccurring sins that have kept you from growing spiritually. But each of these temptations is an opportunity for the Lord to stand with you and face the tempter with you. I quoted this last week, and I want you to remember it. Sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. But the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. And that is always a lie. So we were encouraged to invite the Savior into our weaknesses. And so as he stands with us, they can become a strength. We also kind of ended last week with the idea that there are are two main times in our life that temptations seem to come flooding in the most at two special works of God in our life. Number one, immediately after we have received a blessing or deliverance from the Lord and we are on a spiritual mountaintop. In those moments of time, there are aspects of being so in love with God and so in tune with what's going on that we also at those moments can begin to put down our defenses. Because we begin to develop an arrogance that this is the way it's always going to be. And Lord, I am so strong in you that nothing can happen to me. And in those moments when we put out our defenses, the enemy will attack like a flood. The second opportunity seems to be just before God opens a door to use you in a greater way than he ever has before. And the enemy wants to take you out before it begins. And there will come a rush. If you have your bulletin, there are three points that are jotted down for you if you want to just jot some notes as we quickly go through this. But I want to first point is bring to your attention that Jesus and Paul experienced temptation at these two very occasions that I just mentioned. Jesus himself is our best example of understanding and winning over temptation. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 1, this is what the scripture says. It describes this event. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, 
For those of you that have heard me preach, you know I'm a picture learner. I have to picture things in my mind and see the scenes so that I can kind of grasp the context. So here's what's happening. Jesus has just been baptized of John, total immersion. He was completely put under the water, and the Bible says as he was coming out, that's where we get the symbol, the lesson that we do, why we baptize people the way we do, because Jesus was our example. And as he is coming out of the water of baptism, he's lifted up, and in that moment, there is a split between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And those that were there were allowed to look up, and from this split, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, comes from heaven and lands upon Jesus, indicating that there was an anointing that was going to rest upon him for what God was leading him to do. And the next thing that happens after that is those that were there gets to hear something that I'm looking forward to hearing. The voice of God speaking directly. The literal voice of God the Father is heard to proclaim, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. How cool must have been that for Jesus? To get to stand there and, and coming out of the water recognizing what he already knew that the Holy Spirit was going to rest upon him and lead him into a ministry and hearing the Father declare his absolute love. Now, for those of you that have always struggled with the one guide in, in three personalities, this is a great passage of Scripture that demonstrates how one God can be existent in three personalities. God the Father speaks from heaven. God the Holy Spirit, which is the power, the anointing of the Lord, rests upon his son and Jesus, who is the action figure of the Godhead upon this earth to do his work. It's all right there. It's a great theology of the Trinity at work. And then following this magnificent mountaintop experience that Jesus just has, the Bible says that the spirit who had just rested upon him now leads him into a desert to be tempted. My thought as I read this is if God was anointing Jesus, why didn't he just start revival right then? Why didn't he just lead him, he's anointed, he's ready, he's sent, and just go right then? There was something that needed to be accomplished, not only for Jesus, but for us, that could only come about after 40 days of fasting and preparation and prayer in Jesus' life. Now, I hope all of you pray for all of us who are pastors here. Because I look at this, if Jesus needed 40 days of fasting and prayer, he's the son of God. If he needed 40 days of fasting and prayer in order to be able to accomplish God's will, how do you think we can do it without that? And the spirit led him there. But I find it interesting that it was after these 40 days, as he's nearing the end of this fasting time, that the scripture says that Jesus was hungry. He is physically and emotionally weak. His spirit may be stronger than it's ever been, but he was physically in a position where he was weak. How many of you know that Satan knows when you're the weakest? Have you ever discovered that he makes bad days worse? He's an expert at piling on. He's an expert at when one thing goes wrong and you begin to feel defeated about that and you look at that or when you're, you're hungry or when you're thirsty or when things aren't going well and he begins to pile on. His greatest attacks comes when he looks at you and finds you in weakness because he recognizes in that moment his greatest chance for success is when you are weak. 
What he doesn't know is that in our weakness, Christ is our strength. And so when Jesus was emotionally and physically at his weakness, Satan found the opportunity ripe to attack him with temptation that would appeal to the very things that he was struggling with in weakness. And Jesus overcame. So from the mountaintop experience comes this overwhelming temptation on Jesus. And then we look at the Apostle Paul and how he was tempted. And we begin to read of the account of his marvelous salvation in Acts chapter 9. In verses 3 through 8, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard the voice, <coughs> a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but didn't see anybody. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. And for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. We inter interesting enough, as we begin to look at the life of Paul, we begin to recognize that he was visited by Christ on this Damascus road. Here's the voice of God is unbelievably transformed and changed into a follower of God. He he was commissioned by God to do some great things. In fact, in verse 15, it says about his future ministry that this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. We know that Paul would have a ministry of suffering, and yet one of the greatest ministries ever known to a man that has walked on the face of this earth. But right before he is launched into ministry, we recognize that he says, there's a thorn in my flesh. There's a messenger of Satan to torment me. In other words, just before God launches him comes the attack of the enemy. And it was in that attack that he had a decision to make. Would he let the revelation of the Lord sit idle as he battled with this or would he push through it and see what God was up to in his life regardless of the things that he was facing? I say this to you for this reason. I, I said it last week and I want to repeat it. I am convinced that the most effective ministries that you have ever been a part of are just around the corner for you. Some of you this morning that were having such a hard time worshiping because you've been living in the shadow of defeat, God is about to break through and launch you and anoint you in greater ways than you've ever experienced, and the enemy knows that, and so he's hitting you the hardest because he wants to take you out before you begin. Some of you have such a spiritual anticipation and a hunger that is growing within you. Some of you have had talents that have been put on the shelf for a while and you aren't sure why, but you sense God is stirring something within you and you know that the time to press in is now even though it seems the hardest. Some of you, God has been speaking to you about a season of greater usefulness. Some of you, he's speaking to you about using you and blessing you as a family in brand new ways, using you to win souls, leading you into some field of endeavor that may be different than what you've been a part of, but it, it stirs your excitement to know that you can be used and you know that you're on the threshold of a glorious new season. And right when that begins to happen, the enemy brings temptation to make you fail. Because the devil knows that you're about to damage his kingdom, he wants to take you out before that happens. And so we know when these seasons of life are. 
I mentioned this this morning in, in prayer before I started this morning. I just, I felt the Lord just speak to me, so I just jotted this down. For some of you, you have been pushing for a position. There's been something that you have wanted to do, and you can't understand why God isn't allowing it yet. And here's what I want you to know. Satan will try to have you to be put in positions that's greater than your character is able to carry right now. If he can get you to a position of influence that your character has not yet been tested enough to hold, he knows he can wipe out a lot of people. We've seen this in the past with leaders who their charismatic behavior has brought them to places their character simply was not capable of holding them. And when the temptations come, it wipes them out and everybody that followed them. And so there are times in our life when the temptations that we face, God is allowing them to emerge so that when we are victorious over them, our character will have been strengthened to the point where he can use us in greater ways than we have in the past because it's a tested character and not an untested position. And so we recognize this. And secondly, how do we achieve victory over these temptations? How many of you ever heard of David Wilkerson? Many of you have. I... I used to love to read his sermons and listen to him. And I kept something that he had written once where he had outlined four steps that I believe are going to be very helpful to each of you as you walk on this journey with God and, and having victory over temptation. And I want you to jot these things down, if you would, in your notes. How do we achieve victory over temptation? Number one, resist the devil and never run or retreat in fear. Jot that down. Resist the devil and never run or retreat in fear. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now here's what I think is so fascinating. We Christians are really, really good at memorizing only parts of Scripture. In fact, here's what we memorize out of that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of you know that line? I've got something to tell you. There's nothing whatsoever about you that would make the devil flee. Hate to just blow your bubble up like that, but there's nothing about you that would make the devil flee. You can stand there and look at me and say, I resist you. Well, good for you. That's laughable that we think we can face the enemy of our soul down and just simply with the words, I resist you. Because the only way to effectively overcome the enemy starts with the first part of that verse. Submitting yourself to God. In other words, you need to recognize that you have a partner in your life the moment you come to know the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And as you submit to the Lordship of God living within you, then there is a power that makes the enemy fearful. It's not your face. It's the face of the Holy Spirit reflected through you when you submit yourself to God that causes him to look at you and run in fear because big brother scares him. And so as we submit ourselves to the Lord, as we daily say to God, Lord, it's not my will but yours be done. I need you to be alive in me. I'm submitting myself. You lead me. You guide me. You speak in me and through me. Then when you elevate temptation that begins to show where my weaknesses are and the enemy comes to make me fail, you step in to make me an overcomer. But by submitting myself to you, then 
I can resist the devil and he will flee. And then it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Did you notice that the first thing that it said there is that you have a responsibility to come near to him? And his response is to come running to you. Within this action, we very clearly see that as we choose to submit ourselves to God, he then provides the strength for us to have victory over temptation. I read a report in a Denver Post a number of years ago about a, a sheep rancher by the name of Lexi Fowler. Lexi was writing because she'd had a terrible problems with coyotes that were coming in and just wiping out her herds. And, and people were sending in recommendations. Well, you know, you need to spray this thing. It stinks and coyotes don't like it. Or electric fences and, you know, sounds that are supposed to scare coyotes. And she did everything from sleeping with her lambs during the summer or battery-operated you know, for those of you that have babies, you know, you put a little baby monitor in there so you can see. She had baby monitors and, and the birthing stations, everything, just so that she could respond. And, and she was losing lambs and, and sheep like crazy. Then one day she discovered a llama. The llama, for those of you that have seen them, are kind of funny looking. Um, but the thing about their personality is that they're fearless. They're afraid of nothing. And so... As a result of that, when she began to release llamas to be a part of her herd, what she discovered is when the coyotes would begin to sneak up, the llama would see them or smell them, and the llama doesn't run. The llama gets up and runs right toward the coyote. Out of curiosity or stupidity, whatever it may be, <laughs> they go right toward it. And as a result of that, since coyotes are opportunists, the llamas were taking away the opportunity. And as a result of that, her herd grew, and it was an amazing discovery. And so when we read in the scripture that we are to submit ourselves to the Lord and resist the devil and he will flee from you, we need to kind of be like a llama, that when, when we begin to sense that, that temptation coming, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to stand up and begin to walk right toward it. Knowing that we are not alone, but coming to the understanding that we are going to face this weakness in our character or face this weakness in our life, and I'm doing it in the power of the Lord because, Satan, I'm not going to give you the opportunity to take me out. I'm going to face you in the power and the strength of the Lord, and so you can quit your stinking sneaking around the edges of my life looking for places to destroy me because when I see you, I'm coming after you in the power of God. I'm going to address it. I'm going to face you. And as we do that, we begin to see victory take place. There was an account a number of years ago of Union Pacific Railroad that was being constructed, and they had built this elaborate trestle bridge across a large uh, gully or, or, or canyon out in the west. And wanting to prove to everybody that the bridge was well built, people were a little worried about it. The engineer of the, of the bridge itself brought a train out and loaded it twice as much as he normally would, double its normal payload, and he parked it right in the middle of the bridge. And he got out of it and he left it there. And One of the workers said, are you trying to break the bridge? And the builder said, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. In the same way, when Jesus faced the temptations that the enemy threw at him in the wilderness, he did so with the word of God, not to prove that he would ever fail, but to prove to you and I that we can overcome the enemy the same way he did because his power lives within us and he wants to prove to us that temptation will have no rule over you as you begin to move into the future. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on guard. 
Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. This doesn't sound like a run in fear attitude to me. It sounds like one who knows the power of our living God. Secondly, jot this down. Don't ever argue with your tempter. Don't ever argue with your tempter. Don't try to get into a dispute with the devil or his powers. Because what he will do is always try to bring you to a place where you will allow small compromises within your life. Just little ones. With the idea that, oh, you know what? You don't have to be all that. You can just allow this. You're going to be, you are still a child of God. You're, you're, just allow this and, and allow this. He's a little compromiser that tries to bring these things in. I, for years, worked with students, and I can't tell you how many conversations I had with them as, as there were those of them that were dating unsaved people. And, and I would talk to them, and the Lord would begin to deal with them that they needed to make a, fr- a fresh, clean break. And, and, th- that was, and they would begin to say, well, you know what? If I break up, maybe they'll never come to the Lord. Well, you know what? I, I, I need to be the one to kind of, you know. And, and they would begin to listen to the little compromiser. Don't argue with the enemy. You can't win those arguments. They begin to feel, well, maybe I'll be responsible if I obey God fully and completely and sever the little compromises that come into your life. Because if you don't, it's a recipe for disaster. Don't compromise and don't argue with the enemy. Satan cannot read your mind. He does not know your thoughts. He is not omniscient, but he can read your actions. He hears your phone conversation. He watches where your feet take you. He sees what you watch on TV. He knows the websites that you go to on your computer. This is how he knows so much about you. Because your actions blab it out. And so when you argue with the devil, you will soon find out that he has a way of saying, go ahead, God will forgive you, God will do this, God will still love you. And as you do that, you begin to lead yourself into failure again and again. So friend, when you're tempted, it's no time to talk and argue with the enemy. It's time to stand firm on the word of God. Number three, put a sudden stop to the possibility of giving in. Put a sudden stop to the possibility of giving in the time to stop temptation to be victorious over it is at its first impulse years ago I heard a story that news had gotten to Billy Graham when he was a young evangelist that there were people that were trying to take him out early in the stage of ministry I don't know how he found out but somebody had mentioned to him that they were going to try to plant women in the rooms that he was going to stay in so that when he would go into the room in whatever stage of undress they may be that they would jump out and somebody would take a picture of having him and this individual in the picture together to try to destroy his ministry. The first time that he heard about it he began to travel with a very close friend and that friend's full job for the rest of his years of ministry was to walk into every hotel room that Billy Graham would be in before he got there. He would walk in and he would open every closet. He would walk in and he would open everything that was in there, every drawer, go into the bathroom, make sure that there was nobody in there that was setting up something that would look as if he was going to fail to destroy his ministry. And he did this every time he traveled for the rest of his ministry because he was determined to cut Satan off at the first impulse. I will not give way and allow the enemy to find a way. Our assistant superintendent, Bill Kirk, has said this, and I've quoted it many times, but let me say it to you again. He says, any sin that you arrest in your mind in the thought stage will never become a part of your past. 
Because any failure to temptation always starts with the thought process of I might be able to get away with it this time. And if you can arrest it there, then it will never become a part of your past. Some of you need to learn to tell yourselves no emphatically. It starts with saying that. I will not do that again. I will be different this time. I'm going to stand with the Lord. I'm going to quote scripture. I'm going to bathe myself in his presence. I will not give the enemy a foothold within my life any longer. No devil, no to the flesh. I'm lining up on God's side and he is against my sin and he wants me to be victorious over this. Nothing sends the devil fleeing more quickly than a sudden and a final and a violent no at the first attack that comes into your mind. Paul says this in Romans 8.13. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Folks, it's time for some of you to have a funeral. You need to bury the old man and the, bury the old sinful nature and not put up a headstone so that you can go back and visit again. You need to bury it in the name of Jesus and turn around and walk a brand new way so that he can bring you victory. With the help of the Lord, you need to bury that nature with no hope of resurrection. And if you don't learn to say no at the moment of temptation, if you entertain in your mind for just a little while, you're going to give in. And so learn to say no at the first thought. A few years ago, I was in the Times Square Church in New York City, and I was working with Pastor Carter Conlon, and he and I were together, and I was introducing him for a, a session that he was going to be speaking to some of our young pastors. And he was talking to them about purity, and I wrote down what he said that day because it was so impactful to me. He was talking to them about purity in ministry, and he says whether it be sexual purity financial purity or ethical purity he said the final act of failure to maintain purity always starts out with a failure in your mind to address it affairs that disqualify ministers and leaders don't just happen they have been rehearsed in the mind many many times before they are lived out you have to attack the battleground of your mind i believe that that is true for every believer we know how the enemy works within our mind. And the longer that we entertain those thoughts, the greater chance that we're going to fall when we need to learn to say no at the very outset that I come against that thought in the name of Jesus. I will not be that kind of person any longer. So learn to say no. Learn to tell yourself no. And learn to say it emphatically. In fact, practice situations in your mind that if it ever comes up, you're just going to say no. Men, we have to learn to look at women in the right way and say to our mind, no, I will not do that. Women, we've got to learn the way that we act. And we have to learn to say no to ourselves before events ever transpire. So that when they come, we've already practiced victory in the way that we address things. Fourthly, face temptation by activating scripture. Face temptation by activating scripture. There's only one thing that puts terror in the devil as it relates to you, and that is when you activate the word of God and throw it in his face. Because that is the sword of the spirit. It amazes me that we get really, really good at putting on the defensive things, and, and we are told to guard our heart. We're, we're told to put on the bulletproof vest because our heart is a place that if it's attacked can be fatal. But I want you to know something. 
God has also given to us this amazing sword. It's an offensive weapon that we can use in the middle of tempting times. It's when we pull this out that is a sharp sword that the enemy must run from because the word of God is going to mess him up when it's used in your life. And so God has given you this weapon. And so we need to memorize it. We need to pull and fill our hearts and lives up with the word of God so that when the attacks come, we can speak the word of God in truth and in power. And the enemy flees. David said in Psalm 17, 4, By the word of your lips, speaking of God, By the word of your lips I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. In chapter 18, 21, he said, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. And verse 23, he says, I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. Let me tell you something. There's an effort on our part that we have to take in activating the word so that we can overcome the temptation and be victorious in Jesus Christ. And lastly, I'm going to ask that you would bring our kids up and prepare them to finish the service with a song. Answer your temptations with contrary commands. Whatever the temptation is that you face, you go to the Bible and you find a verse that absolutely goes against what the enemy is trying to do to you. And you speak it out loud to him and to your own soul. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you. I want you to repeat this verse with me, will you? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Some of you need to speak this to yourself every day and believe it. This is the word of the Lord to his people. You may have lived in the shadow of defeat, but today sin shall not have dominion over you. Today the word of God states to you who you are in Jesus Christ. You may have lived with the title failure written across your forehead, but today sin will not have dominion over you. And as you begin to learn to speak those things in the power of God, your temptations will begin to change and God will reveal to other, you other areas of weakness, but he will also give you the power of the word to begin to defeat them and you will live in victory. You can stand and say, devil... I am safe from you, and anything you sinned against me, I don't stand on my record or any personal holiness that I may have. I stand on the written word of God that has defeated you and gives me a hope and a future that you cannot control. And as you speak contrary commands, he will flee, and you will be able to praise with a pure heart of God. This week, during our kids' camp, we have a marvelous children's worship team. And I've asked them to come and conclude the service today because there was a song that they sang that I said so perfectly fits with this theme of I give you my heart. You want your heart protected? Then give it to the Lord. And then it ends with the song, I Surrender All. Kids, would you please come and prepare yourselves? And as they come and prepare to lead us within this, I need you again today to recognize that the songs that you're singing are not just words. They are declarations that God hears and the enemy hears. And today some of you need to declare to the Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you my life, Jesus.
And in doing so, God can change the pathway that you've been on from one of repeated failure to one of victory. Thank you.